0: Sorry? I said that we just topped a thousand videos. Cheers to that. <laughs> so anyway, one more.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it's interesting that you say about that comparing ourselves to others that in the Buddha-Dhamma is actually quite an important point. Because in fact, it is kind of um, part of the deep remnants of the self. It's instinctual to do that. Uh, And um, the comparison has to do with a basic fundamental ignorance and that basic fundamental ignorance can be stated in the sense of shortage or not enough, or maybe even the idea of a zero-sum game, right? And that a lot of people have that idea about money to where, in fact, That's not true because look how much more money there is now than there was in 1900. There's a whole, I mean, the world is awash in money. How was that created? It was not created in a zero-sum game to where every dollar that's traded is a dollar lost. Okay. So when we begin to live in our own mind state, that everything can be um, a win-win. Which also has to do with the fact that everything is already okay. Or that everything is uh, entirely, say, survive, survive. Everything is, is okay. If everything is in fact okay, then we don't have to compete with each other's for, uh resources. And in fact, the whole idea of resources is that they're scarce. And then in fact, we work really hard to make things scarce. We call that hoarding. And uh, the whole idea then is, is that, uh, there are actual instincts within us that are in conflict with each other. The instincts themselves are in conflict. Um, the the, the, the uh, conflict between uh, socialization or uh, the nesting instinct and selfishness directly seems to be the two greatest conflicts within uh, the instincts and people will get torn between the two in the sense of, am I going to cooperate or am I going to take or am I going to give back? That's basically, and if I have the idea that I'm going to give, that means that I've already got enough. It's when we want and, and are greedy that we want to take. All right. So we can see, in fact, that that stuff is very, very interrelated. So when we are actually comparing ourselves to others or competing with each other, it's for something that we want, that we have the delusion that it's scarce. Or that it's valuable somehow, rather than recognizing that, um, Competition, in fact, can actually become a toy to play with rather than uh, something to be avoided. But this is another aspect that we have to look at within the concept of the Dhamma is is that we can find dukkha in anything and uh, comparing ourselves to others can often lead to dukkha in the outcome. But now you're beginning to see it as it arises, and when you do, now it's stucca right in and there for you, and it need not be. That again, this is just another toy to play with. Aha, I see you, Myra. I see that competitive nature in there, that it's a natural instinct. And so no need for you to feel bad about it because that too is a hindrance. You see, these hindrances are very, very tricky <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that um, uh, they are interrelated like this. All of this stuff is, is very deeply interrelated. And so um, looking at... Uh, the comparisons, one of the ways that we can do this, and in fact, this is kind of um, an interesting way to look at it from the perspective of the Four Noble Truths and uh, and the, the Eightfold Noble Path, that when we're practicing, let us say in the moment, or actually performing the Dhamma, almost to the level of playing with Dharma moment by moment, and this issue of the competition comes up, we can see it as um, a, a natural situation. And then we can begin to play with it in the sense of, well, since we already have the noble path going right now, and I already have that uh, st- st- Strong sama sankapa of the right attitude. That ever, whatever I'm going to do with this competition, I'm going to win it because I'm the one who's setting up the competition criteria. I mean, what's the game that we're going to play? The criteria from which we're going to select the winner. Right? Guess what? We do that ignorantly and absent mindedly anyway. We set up the criteria of the game for a win or a lose, depending upon our attitude anyway. That that the winning and losing is almost already ordained from the attitude that we have. All right. So, for instance, the guy falls in love, the teenage boy falls in love, drop-dead gorgeous babe. He really, really likes her, and all of a sudden he finds out the captain of the football team is... Her boyfriend. And that puts him in competition with um, the football captain. If he wants to win, he will set it up so that in his mind, he is better at something than the football player so that he can show that off to the girl. But if he is a loser, then he's going to choose something that the football player is good at, like maybe football. And he's not in order to lose that competition Hmm. we already set up our competition so begin to look at that too not just that you're competing with others but you already know what the outcome of the competition is going to be because you're the one who is creating this competition in your own mind and you're the one who is setting (laughs) up the criteria for the competition Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> now the game comes in in the fact that now we're awake to this process. And now we begin to understand that, hey, if I just play the game the way that it should be played, which is the Dama way, we're going to both win out of this. And if not, their losing is their choice, not mine. However, it is my choice that I'm going to win this competition, whether they win or not. This is something quite amazing, and that is that that means then that now, from now on, you actually recognize that you have a choice of it, and if you remember to take that choice, you will win every competition. You will never lose a competition ever again. When you're comparing yourself to someone else, you you won. I don't care who it is. It could be the professor emeritus of, of philosophy. And you can walk in there and have an argument with some of the stuff I've told you, and you can come out feeling a winner. Okay? That's the whole point. It's the attitude. And here's the... the um. The thing though about this is is that once we play the game and play it very well, we can get you know everything gets old, been there, done that, everything gets old, i mean even enlightenment every i mean really enlightened beings get really used to yeah, everything's enlightened, so what? <laughs> 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 so the, uh, the winning and the constant winning means that now we can say wait a minute look at all the effort that we're putting into this competition and we always know the outcome we're always going to win anyway now why bother to compete Why bother? I mean, look how much effort that you've been putting into competition all of this time. How many people have you competed with? Win, moves, win, moves, win, moves. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, uh, the way that our society is set up is almost the general case that we compete with everybody that we need. We compete with owner everything. Everything winds up being a competition and we do it ignorantly. So that means that we don't recognize that we are, in fact, choosing the criteria for the win or the loss, <laughs> and that it depends upon our attitude as to whether we're going to win or lose. And so now we recognize, look how much we've been competing. We go around competing with everything. Why should I bother competing with anything? Because I'm going to win anyway. I'm the winner here. I'm the lion. (laughs) Wow. Been there, done that. Let's take a rest. Don't need no competition no more. It's just too much work. Just too much bother. And not only that, look at the kind of feelings that you have before, during, and after the competition. I mean, that's one of the main sources of anxiety is the mental competitions that we set ourselves up for with other people. And most of the time, they don't even know that we're competing with them because they're too busy competing with us with their own criteria. (laughs) And not only with us, but with everyone else, too. So. That's that's the remarkable part that um, people are very egocentric. This is one of the the grand value of uh, just one of the many grand values of being in sangha is when we can begin to play these games with each other mindfully. So that we can recognize what's going on. Because. The one of the problems with competition is is that um, it's often not friendly competition, and the whole teaching of the Buddha has to do with friendship. So, here's part of that plan. Then is, is that if you are in the beginning, be uh, catching yourself in being competitive, can you change that competition into a friendly competition, which is the same thing as making a game out of it, make it, making it playful, making it to the point that everybody wins. That's the way of looking at it, and sometimes that's really hard to do when you feel harmed or wronged, or uh, they have done you wrong. That's a very, very common feeling uh, that a lot of our uh, competition is actually based in revenge, getting even. I mean, that's the competition anyway, is getting back. He's won something and I've lost, and now it's time for me to lose, uh, or let us say regain that which I thought was lost. And in fact, basically what it is is that we're now warning payment that when we lost, the real issue was how we felt about the loss. We didn't like it. We didn't like losing. So when he calls you some name like uh, a creep or a bully or something like that, and he calls you a bully, it doesn't even matter whether the word bully fits or not. What really matters is how do we feel about it? Because if we don't like being called a bully, then we want to go get the thing justified. We want to try to prove that we're not a bully. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So a lot of the competition then has the underlying issues of resolving bad feelings. And if I can go compete with him and win over him, and make him say uncle and pin him to the ground, at least mentally. Then I get my feelings back and I can feel good again. Well, guess what? When we have that toy as the competition, we can reflect right then and there. I have just won this competition and now I can feel good in retribution for the bad feelings that I just had to set up this competition. In other words, take your joy immediately. Take your revenge immediately by setting up the competition and you can actually play with it to the point of making it ridiculous. Playing something that uh, that you're absolutely good at in your own mind, that he is impossibly bad at in your own mind, so that you immediately feel good and then you don't have to go into actually anything else you want. And so these are the ways of making it into a toy or making it into a friendly game. Because we have the whole concept underlying that is that concept of, aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see that desire for competition based upon a bad feeling that we had because he called us a name or whatever the situation. Because he gave me some B minus. Boy, I'm going to get that professor back. <laughs> Have you ever had that feeling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just did. <laughs>
2: no, this <is> so bad. <laughs> that's not yeah. That's a a whole other thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when we get into the habit of being in competition, it's subtle, which means we begin to compete with everything. And so here's just another example of it. Okay. So, um, the... uh, Let us say the outcome then, one of the possible outcomes is don't I feel great about the fact that I can accept a B minus? Yeah. That's okay. okay. Yeah, I can take it. My sweet revenge on him is thank you, Professor, for the B (laughs) minus. Yeah, can't touch me.
2: Oh my God! I know it is such a um.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: this,
2: this, the whole school thing is it is a trip for sure. <laughs>
0: yes, but look where the tripping is done. Sure, it's true. It's true. It's true. That's what the whole practice is all about, is look at what we're doing, because we've got choices about it. Yes, there are things we can do about this competition, and one of the things that we're talking about is is that competition makes us feel bad. We, in fact, do competition because we've already started feeling bad, and we think that the competition is going to get us out of the bad feelings, Rather than addressing the bad feelings directly, which is basically more of what we're doing here. I don't have to feel like that. I don't even have to compete with him. I'm okay. B minus or bully or knob or (laughs) whatever you're getting called. And that's not just, I mean, there's so many different ways. But it almost always has to do with the fact that, that we wanted something that he took. Now we don't have it. And we want it back.
1: <laughs>
2: totally. totally yeah. That's super interesting. I wasn't even making the connection between comparisons and competition, but I suppose they really are super hand-in-hand. Yes. Now, um,
0: in the sutras, it talks about... Actually, <laughs> this is more in the Abhidhamma. sorry. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, there it talks about that this manna, or uh, uh, the, con- the word is used, the translation uh, is into the word conceit. And it has to do with the deep lying I am. But basically, the the feeling or the, the real issue is I am in pain. And that we want out of the pain. And one of the ways that we can get out of the pain is by winning some kind of competition. And then we have pride. And that, in fact, um, the Bible talks about pride a lot. Pride is uh, actually trying to make ourselves feel good. In resolution to uh, the bad feelings that we have, we feel inadequate, so we go around proving ourselves, and in fact, that's what the bully is. The bully is the one who, in fact, um, is feeling weak inside, and he has to put on the front, so he's actually out there in competition. The bully is actually that's competing. And he's competing to set up the competition so that in his mind he wins because he's strong and and positive and all that. And yet he also doesn't like it when they call him a bully. (laughs) And he feels bad. And so he's going to go back and bully them again, I suppose, or not sure. (laughs) Whether that's a wake-up call for him or not. Um, So, that's the pride side. The other side either winds up in jealousy or envy if we lose. But the jealousy and envy that we experience in losing the competition was probably already there in the beginning anyway. But in fact, that's why we wanted the pride. We set up the competition so that we could get the prize of Pride, because we've already felt being the victim and the jealousy and the envy. And I will make a point about the distinction between here, the jealousy and envy is is that envy means they've got something that I want. And jealousy means they're trying to take something that I have. So that's why we call it jealously guarding something rather than enviously guarding it. So both of those are the case though, that if we feel like that we have to guard against him taking what we've got or that we're um, not able to get something that we want because he's preventing us from getting it, that's the envy. Then um, we're already in the loser's position. We're already in the one-down place. So if we back up just a bit, when we begin to see this competition, we can recognize it that this is actually this, this competitive spirit now that we're in, this wanting revenge, is the effect of some prior cause. And that prior cause is basically. Back to the second noble truth, the original greed. That we wanted something. So if we don't want anything, then that's the championship. The champion is that he can't touch me because I don't want anything. He didn't put me in a state of deprivation. He took something, but he didn't take it from me. Because there's no me here to have it taken away from is a philosophical way of looking at it, but the better way of looking at it is is that uh, whatever he took was so trivial that it really doesn't harm me at all because he can't touch me, you know, that whole attitude, if he can't touch me. So that idea then of he can't touch me goes really back to the original roots of we're feeling like we've been robbed or whatever. But whatever he took was a trifle. It didn't matter. Wasn't important enough to bring me out of my bad, out of my good feelings into bad feelings so that now I want revenge so I can get my good feelings back again. Okay, so now we're looking at it from... Uh, various angles. And um, um it's it's also interesting that this mana our conceit is one of the ten fetters. And it's listed as an a rupa fetter as opposed to rupa fetters. Now normally what we mean by rupa versus a rupa is um, let us call it the rupa fetters are obvious and that the um, arupa fetters are subtle. And we'll use that in that distinction, subtle versus obvious or physical versus not physical is the way that it's uh, spoken of in the the sutras. So conceit is often subtle, but it's not so subtle to the other people watching this dude compete by being a bully or whatever. It's only subtle to him because he's not watching the sequence of events as it happens, as it unfolds. To where, for instance, when you get really angry and hostile and are are shouting at someone and they say something about your anger, You may not like it, but anger, you can recognize. You could see that, okay? Or if uh, uh, the young man is, let us say, unrequited love and he is lovesick and he's lost his darling, not only does everybody in the house know that, but he knows it when they tell him about it. He knows he feels bad because he wants something he can't have, right? So that's why we talk about it at that level. Of uh, lust and ill will are agreed, this is fetter number four and five. And these things are really, really obvious. Okay, Now, there's also um at the uh, the lower fetter still, you have personality view, attachments to rights, roots, and rituals, and um, the fetter of doubt. These things are also, quite obvious in the sense that if someone is attached to uh, past and future lives, or they're really intent on doing the right thing so that they can go to heaven or hell, they're clearly attached to a, 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 a self that they think is permanent. And along with that permanent self comes the belief system of I can't change, I'm stuck, original sin, uh, who am I to be good, only God is good. Do you know the whole nine yards of Christianity? Well, we have that built into our culture. It actually is the, the loser's mentality, but the real loser is the loser who thinks that he really can't get out of it without help. Most losers will have the idea of if only, if only. And some of them even start practicing Adipanisati so that they can get some actuals in there. But um, the the idea then that uh, business and education and government and mostly religion rely upon that attitude of I cannot help myself I need baptized, I need that Mercedes, I need to vote Republican, (laughs) you know, down the list, whatever that need is, why do I need it is because that's what's going to be my savior. That's going to get me out of the hell that I find myself in, (laughs) as opposed to recognizing the hell that you're in, that you find yourself in, you created that yourself. And that's the big issue about the doubt is, is that we have to come out of the doubt of who am I going to get to fix my wagon and I can fix my wagon myself. And then the the final release is when I know that I've got the tools that I need and the skills that I need to fix my wagon, because looky here, I've just fixed it again. Mm. And so that's when that fetter is released, but also with the, uh, the personality view, because the, uh, uh, the ignorant beginner has the idea that he cannot get out of it. That means that he has to have a relationship with the other to get him out of it. Now, that might be a mommy, a daddy, a god, a religion, a government, but generally it is a society or a sum total kind of all the authority figure thoughts that we have in our minds. But when we recognize that it is in fact up to me to change, that I'm not going to get this thing to change me, that means that I have to now understand my relationship with that thing, this society that we're in. And when we recognize that basically, that thing is what taught me how to feel bad. And now I'm going to try to get it to fix me. And when it does fix me, I'm going to feel even worse because that's its job, is to make me feel bad. But we keep believing that it's going to make us feel good. So the, that's the wake up, is to wake up to the fact that society is not to be trusted.
2: At all. and And so... Go ahead. That is I mean I totally agree about that and that society continually continually throws throws you into hindrance. I think the difficult thing um for me feels like I feel like I'm caught because it's like on the one hand you're trying to practice uh friendliness, right? And you know kind of the biggest part of friendliness or being friends with someone is trust, right? You know, so you want to be friends with people within society. So you want to trust, you know, you end up trusting them because they're a part of society or whatever. But then at the same time, it's like, then it brings you back into hindrance, right? Because it's like. If just, you trust them. And mm-hmm. when they do something untrustworthy, how do you feel?
1: <laughs>
2: I don't know it's at a certain point, it's like you're not even surprised, right? This is such a deep issue.
0: It really is. It will last and last. This is the whole thing. Is is that um, if you choose your friends wisely, then you can trust them because you can trust because you know them. An example of that would be my my trust in the friendship that I have with a Poe. I know him, and therefore I will trust him. And anything he says, I'll latch on to. Okay, so that's the kind of um, uh, trust that we can talk about. But those kind of relationships are rare. Most of the uh, relationships that you will have... uh, will be based, let us say, on a trust that has wisdom at its face or knowledge so that you know what things are trustable in them and what things are not trustable. So this is actually a skill to be developed. Now, what that means is is that it may take you the rest of your life learning that skill. But every time that you uh, trust someone and then they find, then you find them not trustable, then look at those feelings and recognize that hey, the reason that I feel bad is because I trusted someone, which means that I elevated them beyond what they were actually were. That it was my delusion that trusted them, that if I had looked more deeply, I could have seen that every one of them, that in fact, this is a kind of an important point that uh, is covered in, in a sutra. It's, the name of it is the Kasambian Sutra, where uh, there's a major teaching about um, the process on the path of becoming a Sotapan, but the underlying uh, issue was is that this group of monks were living together, but they were not living in harmony. They were malicious gossiping, stabbing with each other with uh, with verbal daggers, is what is actually stated in the sutta. That's a very um, humorous way of of saying it. Uh, and so uh, that meant that now uh, they. We're not trusting each other, and but at one time that they were. And so things kind of fell apart. That happens to organizations regularly. Okay, it even happens to political parties, is that people will be trusting one another and then some events will happen and then they all fall out of trust and they'll start arguing and bickering with each other. The question is. Or is there at least one person in the group who can see that process happening and take steps to rebuild those friendships? Because actually the the trust issue is delusion within the mind of the beholder, just like beauty. Or just like danger, everything is in the mind of the beholder, and trust is also. The question is, are you going to trust out of a longing and a need for friendship? Are you going to trust out of an evaluation based upon wisdom? Because, in fact, if you do trust someone out of wisdom and then they fail you, then when you do see that uh, uh, lack of uh, trustability show up, aha, I see you, Mara. <laughs> that was my mistake. <laughs> I trusted someone to do something, and they didn't do it. They did something else. I trusted him not to stab me in the back, and they went ahead and do it. My mistake. Okay. That's a, a kind of way of understanding this is where the basic path then starts is, is that can we make sh- uh, friends with ourselves, even though we go around sometimes making catastrophic mistakes of trusting the wrong people because that's what creates that victimhood anyway is feeling like that you trusted somebody and they didn't That's your expectations. Mom, I've had a dirty diaper for three minutes here. Where are you? (laughs) (laughs) It's getting a little raw in here. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, we have issues with this trust thing from very early in life. Uh, That when it's a severe issue, the psychologists call it an abandonment issue. To where we trust people, but then all of a sudden we don't trust them again. We feel abandoned by everything. Okay. uh, uh, Let go of. And that naturally now all the world is really dangerous because I, I have been abandoned by my pacifier.
2: That's super interesting.
0: So, uh, by this issue of, of trust, uh, the invitation from the Dhamma is to do an investigation of your relationship with people that if you begin to know who you are and what you're trustworthy for, that you will know other people and what their uh trustworthy. are, But here's one of the things that's really uh, kind of important, and that is, is that most of the people that you do associate with and make friends with are ordinary people who were not really all of that trustworthy anyway. And wisdom will tell you that, that in fact, there's only a few people that you can really trust. And, um, and those uh, friendships Uh, are the ones that we want to cherish and get into a small community where we really do trust each other because we know each other and we know that they're within the Dhamma. You see, that's one of the things that's kind of special about the Sangha is that it's noble In ways that other organizations like the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, the uh, Woodsmen of the World, the Masons, you've heard all of these fraternal organizations that came out of the 19th century, they were not so noble. They did protect each other until one of them did or some of them did something that wasn't trustworthy. And now there's a big row again. Trials, breakups. Uh, civil wars, all of that has to do because the members of that group were brought into the group as ordinary people so that group winds up being ordinary with all the ordinary problems of selfishness, jealousy, competition, and all of that. So one of the things that, in fact, you want to, uh, uh, to trust a friend with is that he's not going to compete with you? Well, finding friends that are not going to compete with you, that's going to be pretty hard to do. You have to look closely. Or you say, never mind, I'm going to go ahead and make friends with these people that will compete with me because I'm going to win every time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your attitude, but that's the whole point. Is is that trust? Don't do trust out of instinctual connections of nesting instincts and camaraderie and all of that kind of stuff. Use your noggin, okay? Do some investigation. Use your wisdom for figuring out what's what's trustworthy and what's not so that you don't get surprised. Or if you do get surprised, it's only a mild surprise. Ah, I see that again. Yeah, there that is again.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a big pill to swallow, like, I don't know. Because it's like, but again, because it's like the whole idea of you want to be friends with everything, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you to do so
0: are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. and what are you vulnerable in regard to is being let down at your level of trust you trusted them to do something and they didn't do it or you trusted them to not do something and they did it Mm -hmm. that's why we're vulnerable yes relationships require vulnerability so your vulnerability really does depend upon your wisdom Your investigation, your ability to see. And there's two ways to do that. In advance or in retrospect, your choice. (laughs) 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 And in retrospect is when you feel bad because they let you down. And in advance, you can see it coming. Totally.
2: But I guess even then you do have to be you still have to be very careful because you don't want to just be paranoid and yeah you know.
0: I do not use the word careful I use the word wisdom I use the word investigation All right even careful is a lot of work <laughs> okay <laughs> Then, in fact, careful also has the, the 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 quality of not trusting them to where wisdom and evaluation is not in is not suspicious. It's invested for. Them. There's a difference mm. I like that. I like to I like to play with words <laughs> yeah, to totally. no, that
2: makes a lot of sense. That's super helpful
0: Okay. So uh, this actually is worthy of practice over and over again, that in fact, if you do get hurt and then you go away, that will burn your mind. When it comes to mind, what are you going to do with it? Instead of saying thoughts about how you can get back at them, we're going to recollect, oh yeah. That was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> and now the way I feel about it, it's the dumb thing to do. It was a dumb thing to do to trust that guy. And, and again, come back and start playing with it again. It's a toy. You're going to win this. Always set it up so that you're going to win. You're the boss here. You're in charge. You don't have to blame your bad feelings on him. You know who owns those bad feelings. You did this.
2: (laughs) Totally. And now we have a choice Uh, about how... Go ahead. I was just saying it's about the the responsibility. Taking responsibility for your own feelings and whatnot, yeah.
0: Yes. And... We're not talking about taking responsibility in a kind of sing-songy or philosophical way. We're talking about looking right down to the details of it. I trusted that guy because I was too stupid to see what he was up to. (laughs) 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 Because... Because that will bring you up to that level of winner that you're in charge of the situation. This is all yours. You win every competition. And when you keep winning every competition, you get kind
2: of bored with competing. <laughs> well it becomes and like like a, done that Yeah. It becomes like a science experiment almost at a certain point. Uh-huh.
0: Yes. We only need to perform a science uh, experiment just so many times before we we know it. We've got it. But we have to do those science experiments. And we do that through observing. And just because he let you down doesn't mean he is no longer going to be your friend. because. He didn't let you down. You just had too much high expectations of him. That he's just who he is. And he's lovable even when he's untrustable.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That is such a hard lesson to learn. It really is. So it needs practice. Mm-hmm. We need to think about it over and over again. Yes, it does not matter that I feel harmed by him. He's still my brother, and it's my harm that he's just doing what he does. Mm-hmm. In a way, we can talk. This is one of the points of not taking things personally. Yeah, totally. Uh... Yeah, we don't take things personally because if we do, that means that we're the ones who are stabbing ourselves in the back. That he's just backstabbing. And backstabbing is all over the place. But it's when it's my back that gets stabbed. (laughs) (sighs) And so that's that's part of the, um, he, he can't touch me. Yeah. That wasn't my back that he stabbed. He was just stabbing in the dark. He didn't know what he was doing. He's just doing out there what he does. And if I'm wise enough, I don't get close enough to where he can stab me in the back. Can't touch me. So, again, this is that winner's attitude. And if he can't touch you, guess who won that backstabbing competition?
2: The one who didn't get stabbed. <laughs> Totally, yeah, because you set the criteria. (laughs) You set the criteria, exactly. (laughs) So you don't even need to try to stop them, you know? Yeah, that's that's not the criteria.
0: (laughs) All right, well, this has been a very interesting talk. I've really enjoyed this. i too,
2: Yeah. It's,
0: It's very, very deep into the Dhamma, and it's something to look at. This is something that has to be seen. This is something that we investigate within our minds, as well as investigating our relationships with other people. Because really, they can't hurt you. That I trusted you and you let me down, that's, you know, just ignorance. Yeah. reality is, is hey man, I'm in charge here. This is my responsibility.
2: It's my show <laughs> well, i I'm the one seeing this, you know it's like you said, it's just just what's coming in <laughs> 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 um, but uh. You also mentioned that you wanted to talk about uh, what was happening within the sangha.
0: Um, yeah, why don't we go ahead and finish the video. Okay, sure. And then we'll talk about that. All right, so we'll sign off on the video now and hang on and we'll...